RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Well, many of our audience are aware of Marsden Point and the closure of the oil refinery there. It's been debated um, by a lot of people in terms of uh, feedback coming into the radio station, texts, emails, discussions. Uh, it's something that's been on the minds of a lot of people. And I guess the fundamental question is, why would you close down or allow allow to have closed down and made inoperable a national security infrastructure item? It kind of doesn't make sense. So there's that. There's also the government's, well, it's a plan to decarbonize the energy system and be net zero by 2050. So we're going to talk about these things right now. First up, the refinery with Operation Oil spokesperson Carl Barkley, who's traveling the country at the moment, highlighting the importance of the former Marsden Point oil refinery in supplying fuel and other essentials for New Zealand's economy. And Carl is with us now. Hi, Carl. Welcome to Reality Check Radio. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Paul, for giving me the opportunity. Okay, so that's I mean, it's an obvious question. And I, I put myself in a you know a, a politician's uh, position where someone puts over my desk the idea of closing the oil refinery. I tell them to stick it where the sun don't shine within a second. How come that didn't happen? Do you think? Um, I, I don't know why it's happened, but um, it, it's put us in a very vulnerable situation. Very very vulnerable situation. No, it's a fair enough question though, isn't it? Because it speaks to the. Um, the whole point of of national security. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm ex army, and uh, there's two ways of um, looking at this. Um, you, you either take a country over by force and shoot them with bits of lead, or you cut off their fuel supply and um, let them um, survive with that, which is not going to happen very good. Some people might think this is a woo-woo question, and and we haven't discussed it before uh, we started our chat here. But do you think there's any connection between the closing of our refinery, albeit what? How many years ago now? Two, two, two or so years ago. Um, and, Eighteen months ago. Oh, Eighteen months ago, and now BlackRock on the scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is, They're going to buy the whole for two billion dollars. Is that just coincidental timing? Uh, I, I would say they've been in the background for a long time. Would they have um, excessive or, or large shareholdings in the oil companies? that collectively ended up owning that refinery. I'm just wondering, that's all. Um, BlackRock doesn't own a lot of shareholdings. They own a a, um, reasonable amount, but they don't seem to have controlling shareholdings. They seem to have a blanket over a lot of of businesses, which gives them a a feel. Just thought I'd raise that. All right, Mm -hmm. so 18 months ago, they closed the refinery. Now, it, it was built, I think, in the early 60s, 62, by the New Zealand government, financed by the taxpayer, right? Yes, and there was um, public shareholding as well, from what I understand. Some of those shareholders are still holding shares. Okay, and it was built so we could be, what, basically self-sufficient in processing? I guess there was a goal of of, of taking the oil that we had available to us here and refining it and being self-sufficient. Was that that the idea, do you think? I was told originally it was designed to um, process our, our crude oil, our crude oil is what they call light uh, or su- sweet crude, and it's um, hardly needs processing. It's like liquid honey. It, it, it virtually runs out of the ground or run a diesel motor. Wow. Okay. So 
what proportion of our fuel needs was met by Marsden Point up to the time it was closed? Can you give us an idea? Um, it was producing about 70% of our fuel production. Uh, 89% of that was jet fuel and 68% of that was diesel and the rest was petrol uh, in, in um, 91 and 95. There was 120,000 tonne of bitumen coming out of it, high quality bitumen I would stress there and a third of the price of the imported stuff. There was um, CO2 was coming out of the stack at $2 a kg. It's now costing $20 a kg and it's having to be imported in 220 tonne compressed tanks from overseas. And I was just talking to somebody this morning and they said the quality of it's poor. They buy a tank, a load of it a uh, every two days. They make um, uh, dry ice. So they're going for big volumes of it and they said the quality is not there like it was. Wow. Okay. Interesting, the jet fuel, because that's what we need to have as an isolated country, the ability to connect with the world. And that could be the first thing we have trouble getting hold of if there's any issues. That would have kept our our travel lanes and connection lanes open. That's an interesting one. Well, if the refinery was still going, it could run on about 20% New Zealand um, crude oil. <coughs> and... Um, and, and keep us, um, well, no, run on our crude oil with a bit, bit of adjustment, sorry, and give us 20% supply, which would keep our, um, <coughs> excuse me, that cost come back, um, the emergency services going, our, our defence right. force, um, our, our rescue helicopters and stuff like that would need jet fuel. Yeah, okay. So that's, a, again, a national security item. So... Why do you think the decision was taken then? Because it was couched in commercial terms and uh, the government seemed to accept it. What was the commercial reasoning? Can you remember? Can you recall for shutting down the refinery? Considering it had long been built and it surely worn away its uh, costs. It didn't owe anyone really anything apart from maintenance and keeping it upgraded, I suppose. So So what was the argument put forward at the time? Well, they tried to say it was uneconomical. Um, back back before COVID come along, um, 18 months before it closed down, they decided it was uneconomical to keep producing bitumen there, which was the byproduct of the, of the process, uh, and it required vacuum to extract the oil out of the, the final product, <coughs> and that left in the, the, the solids behind, which became the bitumen. They decided it was too expensive, so they went to the process of making it into um, – bunker fuel for ships and they were exporting that or selling that off to the ships that are arriving and making more money out of that than, than the process of making bitumen. But they could have doubled the price of our bitumen and still been a third cheaper than the rubbish they're bringing in now that's not building us good roads. So And, and we've got potholes everywhere, right? <laughs> yeah, pothole heaven, isn't it? Um, and, and, and Luxon said he's going to um, put more money into fixing the potholes, but they're still going to use this crap they're importing. So you need to fix, get the refinery going to fix the roads. Um, yeah, and then, and then COVID come along and that cut the um, air travel, which, uh, as I said, 89% of the fuel coming out of Mars and Point was jet fuel going through the pipeline to um, Worry, and um, that disappeared, <coughs> and it's come back uh, really good now. But the interesting thing with our jet fuel was so great, so, so great a quality, they'd, they'd had planes coming to Australia from Europe with 10, key, or 10 people that wanted to land in Auckland to offload them in Auckland, fill it up with um, our Jet A1, then to fly back to the other side of the world via 
going back to Australia and dropping off the rest of the passengers really actually wanted to go to Australia, not New Zealand. And the same with the Defence Force. They they um, were flying here, um, Americans were flying here with um, for um, the McMurdo stuff and they would uh, fill up with our fuel and take it back. I was told by one of the Defence Force people, they were actually filling up bladders inside the um, big um, cargo planes and taking the jet fuel away that way as well. Were they easier? The, the, fuel, the fuel must have been easier on their engines, less wear or something like that. Have to be a compelling reason to do that. Well, New Zealand was one of the uh, top ten refineries in the world, and I think they'd taken the uh, the, the sulphur out of the out of our um, jet fuel, which was making it uh, better. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then. So we're going to ask about um, the tour around the country you're doing in just a moment. But I am under the impression that it wasn't just mothballed, but it was kind of, I wouldn't say vandalised, but it was, uh, the refinery oh, was, say again? Oh, it's definitely been vandalised. Oh, okay, vandalised then, yeah. Explain. Well, the reports coming out, coming out of it early on with Naomi James, well, she said we've 70% decommissioned the thing, and it showed um, wires cut to control gear and, the control rooms were supposed to be reportedly smashed up and it opened up the heat exchangers, to, uh, great big castings, unbolted them, took the ends off, took out the heat exchanger elements and uh, just left them open to the atmosphere. So if they were mothballed, it should have been all clean, put back together and, and filled up with uh, nitrogen to stop it from going rusty. Never happened. So so why, why wouldn't it be mothballed? I know you probably can't get into their heads, but... That would be the sensible thing to do. And if you're a government worried about national fuel security, you'd want to go to, even if you thought you could get away with taking it out of the system, you'd want it mothballed so it, it could be a go-to if it was needed. Yeah, well, Damien and Connor, I, I confronted him down at AgFest last year in Greymouth, and he said, oh, don't worry, Carl, it's been mothballed. I says, no, Damien, you need to read the Northern um, Advocate to see that it hasn't been mothballed, it's been destroyed. And he, he didn't want to know after that. So he wasn't aware. Oh, he should have been. He he's a minister of um a trade and he's a minister of agriculture. He he he's on the cabinet. He would have known what was going on. So he was lying to you. They all lied to you, mate. They they never return emails. So uh, they they never they never engage with the public. Okay, so if we needed it. Could it be, even if it's been vandalised, could it be restored to a working refinery? And how long would it take, do you think? You're an engineer, you should know. Um, <laughs> um, without um, looking into my crystal ball, I couldn't give you an answer on that, but um, it could okay. take two years from what I understand has been done to it. How long have we got if we've got a fuel supply problem? How Three much, days. In, in how many? Three days. Is that all? We've got. We're supposed to have eight days supply here, is what I've been told by the industry. We were told by the government we had 24 days. By law, we're supposed to have 90 days, but that hasn't been like that for a long time. And when I was told eight days, they said four days is for emergency use and four days is to keep the whole country going. Well, that goes through pretty quick. Then what? No, well, that's why I say three days. Um, when my farmers can't get fuel to go out on the farm and road transport can't get fuel to... Um, to shift food around or even shift their own fuel around, we've got a problem. Well, that, that could cause – I don't even like to think what sort of problems that could cause. 
Yeah, well, there's a there's an act that the government and the governor general's got. It's called the Petroleum Restraint Act. It's under the IEA, the International Energy Association, which we're part of. And under that um, agreement, we're supposed to have 90 days of fuel uh, stored in different parts of the world, <coughs> either crude oil or a finished product, like m- more so diesel that keeps better. Um, so they, they can enact that act, um, the Governor General and two, two ministers, probably the Minister of Finance and the Minister of Energy, the one that the two people that are involved in selling off Marsden Point. Or sell, sell, they didn't sell Marsden Point. They sold Z Energy, and the condition of purchase was that the refinery had to shut. Oh, okay. Did they impose that those conditions? Yeah, government. No, the purchaser did. Oh, okay. So they wanted if they wouldn't buy Z unless they shut the, the yep. refinery. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and the and the people that bought Z is Ampel Australia. Okay, so they're not even here. Uh, it's a foreign. Oh, they're here. They're here. They, they've got Z now, and they've got Caltex, and I think they had Go at one stage. Yeah, but they don't have a. In... They don't have a like a patriotic allegiance to New Zealand. Oh, they run around saying that Z is for Kiwis. <laughs> yeah, okay. We didn't say anything. <laughs> if, you, if you look at their branding, it's all Z is all for Kiwis, but the profits going to Australia. Yeah. Okay. So um, when you say that ninety-day um, reserve, that's not necessarily on shore here. That's you can sort of pull it out of other right. places in the world. Is that? But then you've got to wait yeah, for yeah. it to get here. Um, well, w- when we had crude oil coming here, we had thirty-five tankers a year coming here, and one tanker load would give us eleven days of production. So there was always twenty odd days of crude oil or more in storage here, probably. Okay. So we had we had um, at least a month production available. Okay, tell us about Operation Good Oil. You've been travelling around the country. How did that come together, and where have you been, and and what how have you been received? Oh, I've been as far as Bluff. Um, Operation Good Oil started out. I was at Marsden Point with Brad with digging at Marsden, and um, that sort of we, we went our separate ways and. I saw Operation Goodall uh, there as well, and I liked what they they were doing. So I joined up with them, and um, at some stage I bought some shares in, in channel infrastructure. So I thought if I'm a shareholder uh, standing outside the gate wanting to know why they've closed my oil refinery, they can't actually come and say, bugger off, you're a, a protester. I'm yeah. actually one of the shareholders. So <clears throat> that's where, where that came from. And um, shares, he said, here's a link. You can get people to join us, and um, and I've just taken that on board and then travelling around New Zealand trying to make this um, public shareholding grow. It, it, it's about forty-three percent of the shareholding at the moment is public public people, and if we can grow that to fifty-one or sixty percent, or fifty-one, we've got control. So, wow. Okay. So, so how many people do you have to persuade to join that effort then to make a difference? Oh, that's a question I can't answer at the moment. I, I'm, you have I'm a aiming, Well, I, originally I started off with this document with 10,000 people buying 100 shares, and then Shearsies came back to us about um, six or eight weeks ago saying that it was an eight, the first AGM for a channel was on, and it didn't matter how small a shareholding we had, uh, we all had a vote. So I, I took that as, well, people don't have to buy 100 shares, which is 160-odd dollars they can buy just twenty dollars worth of shares so i've, I've ch- changed the target from thousand ten thousand people to a hundred thousand people because 
more people can afford to do it. And it gives us a bigger, bigger, bigger boating base. And, and get, uh, not everybody's going to take it on board and, and um, boat and do it, but we need, we need those numbers. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you're mentioning sharesies. Are they kind of supporting what you're trying to do? Are they, they got a feelings about the refinery too, or is it strictly business for them? Oh, I think it's strictly business for them. Right. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to have some communications with them, but um, it's like everything in this world. You, you can only talk to people through computers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait till the fuel runs out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll be back to the old old way of doing it. I know um, where their office is, so I'm I'm going to go and knock on the door again next time I'm in Auckland. There was nobody home the other day. Okay, um, they probably work from home. Um, is there any anything on the horizon, like political parties, election coming up? That's that, that's saying anything that gives you any confidence that they might entertain or have got their heads around the issue that this is. Who's been talking about it? Anyone? Um, well, I've been trying to talk to um, – I talked to Luxon at uh, Waipu when we were up there protesting with Brad with Diggin at Marsden. There was a public meeting that um, Chris had, was holding, and uh, I, I stood up. Finally, he let me stand up, and I said, uh, what are you going to do about Marsden Point? Oh, I'm making an election issue. I said, you tell that camera right now today you're going to make an issue today. He, he's not interested. I've been to – But he knows all about jet fuel. He'd think so. Um I've, I've been to three meetings with um, David Seymour. Uh, I was a member of his party. I won't be for much longer. Um, I've tried to confront him three times about it, and he doesn't want to know. Last meeting I was at was Pukekohe, and he says, oh, I can see the man here from Marsden Point with, with his T-shirt on there, but we're not going to let him ask any questions. Oh, that's inclusive. So, okay, yeah. So the two main, the two main alter, alter, alternative parties um, – don't give us indication that they want to do anything. And 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 Seymour actually told me in Queenstown when I questioned him down there at the second meeting. No, it might have been the first meeting. Yeah, that was the first meeting. Um, he said, "No, we won't. We're not interested in Marsden Point because it's as much risk as bringing in crude oil and it is bringing in finished product." I'll tell you the difference between crude oil and finished product. The <clears throat> crude oil is a cheap product. And you get all the byproducts from it, and we make a profit out of those byproducts if we do it here in New Zealand. The, what we're buying in now, the whole petroleum imports because we don't have a refinery, has pushed New Zealand's deficit out to eight billion dollars. And you can find that on the ASB's um, June the second uh, economic note. So I think it's called. It's okay. Two page. Well, you know, BlackRock have just come in with that uh, fund. That the government has um, has well set up with BlackRock to go um, carbon or decarbonize the energy system by 2050. So it kind of makes sense. They don't want these products. They don't want oil. They don't want anything that comes from oil. It's dead as far as they're concerned. Really? Well, they it? call it the they call it the fossil fuel. It's not made from a fossil. Um, Dinosaurs and that are at, I don't know, 3,000 feet, 3, feet or something. Oil is about 5,000 before you start finding oil. Oil is down, it come, it appears to be coming from the the decomposing of, of uh, forests, the same as coal. Um, coal, when you used to burn coal, you used to get 
oils and that, and you got tar. Now, now you're using the oil to make the tar. So <coughs> it's 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 not a fossil fuel. It's it's a hydrocarbon, and it's it's it re regenerates itself. It's like like water. It just they they say a well's gone dry. It hasn't gone dry. They just can't pump enough out of it the volumes they want. If they walk away from that well and come back in a um, hundred years' time, it'll be full again. Okay, uh, um, yeah. So that's how it works. Well, there's there's oil wells across America, great, right, in the prairies and that, and they've been pumping oil out of them for 100, 150 years, and they've got a great big um, array of them around. And the, the the guy that owns them, he he just turns some of them off from now and again, and then comes back in three months' time and turns them back on. He's only getting a barrel or something a week out of them or something, but he's got hundreds of the bloody things around. So, yeah, right. That's how it works. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, do you think it's possible to reestablish this item of um, crucial national infrastructure? Are you positive about? Uh, you oh, I'm know- always positive. I'm always positive. Um, but, but I was at, I went and confronted the um, chairman of. Um, well, the CEO of Channel the other day, I was in Auckland, and I know where their office is, and I went went there. Well, off chance he was, somebody was there, asked him about the meeting they're having on the 23rd, and he said the only way it's going to change, because he, he can't change it, is if the if we have a, a government that that's, that's, um, tells them this is what it's got to be. And that's completely uh, opposite to what our government's telling us. They tell us it's a private company and they've got no say in it. It's yep. a publicly listed company which the government has had shares in and still has shares in through ACC. Okay, so who do you believe? <laughs> uh, I, I believe what the CEO says. Yeah. And I've seen documents that state that the government had um, the final say at the end of the day. There's so, there's so many rules and regulations that control the um, oil industry in this country. The government can't say they've got no responsibility the responsibility falls at their feet at the end of the day. So this could be fixed with just someone with the power saying, okay, sorry, we're not going to have this anymore. You're going to reinstate that. You've you got to reinstate it. Starting today, you got to fix up, get it back back going, and that's yep. the end of it. They could do that. Oh, it's, it's, it's um, depending how much damage they've done. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. It's, as I said, it might, might take us two years to get it back up and running properly, but... Um, that's one of the things we've got to do. Yeah, two years we, we is not long. We can't, we can't afford to be at the risk of running out of fuel. We don't have an economy without fuel. Do you think it's possible that we could, that that, that sort of mix of events could happen and we could be in that situation? Well, if I got into power, um, the first thing I'd be talking to is a couple of countries overseas that, that uh, t- take oil out of the ground and got a few oil refineries. And I've been negotiating with them that we buy their um, finished product and keep going like Channel's doing at the moment, bringing in finished product until such time as we get this refinery up and going again. And we'd be buying their their crude oil as well because it's the best to make bitumen. It's really thick, thick and tarry. Okay, so speak to the energy transition proposals. This is something that's sort of out and about now. And tell us what your thinking is on that. Yeah, well, I only got um, made aware of it a couple of days ago, and I, I rushed off yesterday and uh, downloaded 90 pages of documents. There's, um, there's, there's six different um, avenues it's going along. Um, banning of fossil fuels for electricity, um, hy- hydrocar- 
uh, hydrogen for um, road transport, well, the hydrogen roadmap, they call it, offshore wind farms, uh, solar energy transition, uh, renewable electric systems, and the gas transition plan. Now, I looked up transition in the, in the English dictionary just to see what transition means, and it means change. And change is like changing completely, not, yeah. well, 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 we'll do a bit of this and a bit of that. The, the, these documents are talking about changing us completely away from so-called fossil fuels and, and decarbonizing the world. We, we are carbon. We need carbon in the atmosphere. The carbon in the atmosphere through photosynthesis and green trees gives us oxygen. If we cut the amount of carbon out of the atmosphere, we end up with no oxygen to breathe. That is the problem. The more carbon that ends up in the atmosphere isn't going to kill us because it's only 0.04%, whereas oxygen is 20, 20 22%. And nitrogen's uh, 79%. Um, you think nitrogen would be going to kill us, the amount that's in the atmosphere, but it doesn't because our bodies are designed to work with all this stuff. Yeah. So they're decarbonizing the world as a crock, as far as I'm concerned. There, there's, a, there's three um, top scientists I've listened to. One of them's 91. He states that for the 1% and 2% rise in temperatures um, that's going to we're all going to melt because of it to go from where we are now at 400 parts per million to one degree that 400 parts has to double to 800 parts per million now it's still not even one percent it's 0.8 percent no 0.08 percent so it's not even there now to get to that two two percent uh, two degrees C, it's had to double again, so it's up to 1,600 parts per million. So it's still 0.16. So it's, it's not even it's not even um, half a percent, not even quarter of a percent. And it's not going to kill us because all it's going to do is give more oxygen in the atmosphere and it's going to make everything that's green grow even better. We're going to have <laughs> bigger trees, bigger plants, and... If you look back in the dinosaur ages, that's probably what was happening then. There was a huge amount of um, CO2 and everything was growing. That's why we ended up with all these forests that ended up being our, um, oil. our coal oil. Yeah. It was just part of nature. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> boy, where do you start with that? Where do you it start? It doesn't pay to look. It doesn't pay to look sometimes. So do you think they – do you think they – the amorphous they believe in this people say it's like a religion or a cult or is this a purposeful deconstruction of civilization i mean what is it what do you what do you make of this it's what i'm starting to think i'm a, i'm an engineer and I, i'm a farmer um i know things you can manipulate things and do things um I, another thing on topic i was looking at today was to find out about how much CO2 and how much water vapour was in the atmosphere because water is actually a greenhouse gas when it's in the atmosphere. Did you realise that? No, no, but and I can water, imagine that it could vapor, be, yeah. And water vapour is the biggest biggest mass of any vapour in the atmosphere. It's huge. When you look at a cloud, it's, it's water vapour. So what do we so, do about that? We have to ban that as well, do we? Well, no, what's happening is when, when you get these, these cloud formations, 
um, same as what they're saying when the CO2 gets in the atmosphere, it, it restricts the amount of um, uh, heat that can get in and out, out from the earth. You know, you know, in the wintertime when you get a frost and um, you get a really good heavy frost when there's no, no clouds in the sky. Yep. But at night time, if you go to bed and there's clouds in the sky, the heat stayed in, in, under, yeah. under the clouds. Yeah, the frost the isn't there, of course, yeah. It's, it's kept in, yeah. So the, I think that's what's happening around the world with this, the, these so-called weather weather events that, that seem to be unusually uh, over the top uh, are holding the temperature into the around the Earth's atmosphere, and then they're saying, oh, we've got temperature rise. But it's, it's probably been man-made. And then, uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. So yeah, just to say that they're, they're, they're then also trying to, decarbonize the world why would you want to decarbonize the world when carbon's not actually going to kill you it's going to make more oxygen and make things greener so you've got to start thinking well maybe they have got a plan here because they've ended up getting people to stick something in their arm that actually doesn't work anymore and just the other day they've said the COVID things all over now so what all those people that have got something in their arm and it's making them feel crook or the family members have dropped dead uh, are saying about that thing, you know, that was a part of their plan. That's all part of this. They talk about the next issue as being energy, you know, and what what is energy? Energy is electricity and fuel. Yeah. And without them, we don't have – well, uh, when they talk – one of these plans is to get away from using gas. If everything goes to electricity and the, and the electric – um, grid goes down, it can go down for weeks. You remember what happened in Auckland when they had that big power cut in the CBD and the I cable do. blew up? They yep. had no power. How long was that for? A month or more? It went on for ages. They flew huge generators in in big Russian cargo planes. I saw them at the Auckland oh, airport. Okay. Antronov. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's right. So uh, w- w- when you've got things like uh, petrol and diesel that's coming in a tank and you, and you can choose to fill your vehicle up, or you've got something that plugs into your vehicle or you, you've got no gas in your house anymore to heat your water or cook on, and they want to turn the power off the, or the power goes off for some reason. Sorry, finish that off. You, 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 you hung up slightly. You've lost the control. Yeah, you have lost or the that. control. Yeah. Yeah. You've lost control and they've got control. So I don't know. It's, it's, you've, you've got to start thinking that, all, all these things they're doing is not for our good. And the other thing with the, these, they're talking about putting wind, wind turbines off Taranaki. Huge, great big structures out in the sea, great big heaps of concrete under the ocean, right across where all the oil fields are, which they're now <laughs> shutting down. Present time. It's so, almost like they want to spit on the grave of the oil of yeah. the oil fields. Yeah. Like uh, the oil fields, I drill. We get a hole drilled in the ocean. We 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 put a pipe, a hose line onto it to a, and it comes up to a, a ship that's sitting there to process it. And then when a, a super tanker comes, they fill the super tanker up and it disappears. It's one little structure, and it's all hidden under the ocean. These these windmills are going to be all over the place, and you won't be able to go there with an oil rig and start drilling holes because you'll be sitting in their territory. Maybe maybe but, these people have a fetish for windmills. They have a f- actual fetish. Well, I, I see a lady in Australia was reporting the other day that was in the industry. She said, these things are a con. The people that own them get paid like 600 or $900,000 per year per turbine. 
they pay the poor farmer $15,000 a year per turbine. But if they happen to catch fire, which they sometimes do, and it sets fire to his farm and sets fire to the neighbour's farm or the whole district, the farmer's responsible, not the wind wind turbine people. (laughs) But but the interesting interesting thing she said, these things are all hooked up to the national grid because they're going to supply power. But guess what? Most of the power is going back into the turbines to make them turn around so it appears like they're operating, and it's only until the wind gets up that they actually start going the other way. Okay, so they they can look like they're generating when there's no wind, but they're actually not generating, and they're using power to turn. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Because they're getting paid $900,000 a year per turbine just to have them there. Yeah, so you might as well make it look like they're turning. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Okay, anything more to add to that? Oh, yeah. The coal industry is another one. They're talking about shutting down um, Huntley and not burning coal there. Um, The the Glenbrook Steel Mill, they're talking about um, shutting down half that. So they're talking about this 800,000 tonne of carbon they're going to stop from going in the atmosphere. It doesn't go in the atmosphere. The coal that they burn in the furnace with the iron sand to make the steel, that carbon infuses in the in the steel and becomes the carbon in your steel. That's, that's oh, your so carbon. So it's like a carbon sink. The process is a carbon sink. Yeah, well, the, uh, the carbon that's in your steel gives you the strength of your steel. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they don't have the, carbon the, in the steel. <laughs> well, they don't want carbon anywhere, so. But, but the other thing with that, too, is there was a report, and I haven't, I need to get a copy of it, um, James Shaw was saying that the furnaces, so they can melt down 4.3 million cars. Oh, okay, so getting ready to melt down the cars now. Well, don't they want your oil and electrics? Yeah, I suppose. That, are they made of metal or are they made of some sort of cos- composite material, maybe? You know, I mean, it oh, won't I be so. melting I, those down. But it's all your legacy think, vehicles, right? Yeah, I, th- I think I think the uh, electric cars are, are using steel and, and okay. other... Um, products that uh, require and the other thing is um solar panels and that use carbon is yeah. carbon and solar panels and and the other thing is that they've got all the um hospitals and schools gone away from burning coal and they're now burning wood pellets which um you use a lot more and less energy from them and they're convincing the deer industry to do the same with fonterra and now i remember the, the coal boiler at school when i was a kid absolutely yeah yeah and it was warm the radiator heaters, yeah. yeah. Well, All right. Okay, it's um, it's a clown world, isn't it? It's a clown world, Carl. That's what we're living in. Well, we've got a few clowns running the country. <laughs> All right. Well, the thanks court. for coming on RCR and um, yeah. telling us about the refinery and uh, your feelings about those, um, you know, those energy strategies or or whatever you want to call them. Not really strategies, are they? It's just a way of de-energizing us really seems oh it's not it's not a strategy it's a plan that's sort of um plan yeah, yeah. like yeah. plan transition plan no transition so, plan. that's the one yeah yeah okay. of course the whole document transition transition hydrogen what's the hydrogen well if you say something you know often enough people believe it you see yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I'll I'll put up the link to um Shearsies. You can go on that if the, or if anybody's already in Shearsies, just go to Channel Infrastructure and, and buy some that way. Or if you're working for a share broker, just do it yourself. Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, yep. 
everybody that joins, go and find another 10 people and we'll make this thing happen in a hurry. One thing we've got to do is within the next six months or before, we've got to stop an American from buying the hydro cracker. He's put an offer of 30 million on it. The hydro what? The hydro cracker. The great big seal tower that the oh, okay. Hmm. Right, you got to have that, right? That's an essential part of it, obviously. Well, he's going to give them thirty million, but to replace it and and reinstate it, it's probably going to cost us um, two hundred million. Oh well, they spent five hundred million dollars on COVID rat tests, Carl. So you know, <laughs> That's, um, small change. Uh, All right, well, so, thanks for coming on Reality Check Radio from Operation Good Oil, Carl Barkley. Thank you. Well, thanks for your time, Paul, and look forward to uh, hearing from you again. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.